So we're in the Best Life series, and today I want to talk about joy. How to find joy in your life. Um, We tend to think of self and that that's the way to bring joy. Kanye West, I read something about him this week. If you haven't heard of Kanye West, he's a hip-hop producer and a rapper, pretty famous. Uh, He said said recently um, that he wants uh, evidently a new version of scripture. He said this, a quote, I bring up historical subjects in a way that makes kids want to learn about them. I'm an inspirational speaker. I changed the sound of music more than one time. For all those reasons, I'd be part of the Bible. I'm definitely in the history books already. Well, he is part of the Bible, along with every other sinner, you and I, that God says needs his grace and, and his love coming to them. But we're wired, we're taught in America to think of self first. And I want to tell you this, that is not the way to joy. That is the way to a lot of pain. And as a matter of fact, Jeremiah 9 says this, this is what the Lord says, don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I'm the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. So really, what we're seeing there is that God is saying, I want you to put the focus on me. And we see, when we start in Philippians, in this sermon today, we're looking for this quotient for joy. Now, very rarely, I'm not really an ABC guy, meaning uh, quotients kind of bother me because the Bible is so rich and deep and full that there's just so many angles of that wonderful light that comes through. It's just more than ABC. But today, this is kind of an ABC thing. This is kind of a sequential thing that's really true in the Bible that that if you get this, it's going to release something in your life. It's pretty simple. God made it that way for you and I, but it's powerful. And the first thing that we see in this sequence that brings joy is what I just read in that scripture, putting God first, and Paul says, put Jesus first. Look at what he says with his life. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now is always Christ. So here's this guy always focusing on Christ. Christ will be exalted in my body. He wants Christ to be exalted. This is what he's about. Whether by my life or death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That almost seems morbid, doesn't it? To hear that if you don't really know the angle that he's coming from. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's ironic That if you really want to have the greatest joy in your life, that you understand it's not all about you or even you in these moments, but it's about God in the forever. To live as Christ, to die as gain. This doesn't uh, mean um, that that he wants to die or he'd prefer to die. As a matter of fact, it made me think of a true story of a preacher who preached one night in a church and in his sermon he said, how many of you people want to go to heaven? Everybody raised their hand, but one little guy on the front row. And he said, what, you don't, you don't want to go to heaven? He goes, oh, oh yeah, I want to go to heaven. I just thought you were getting up a load tonight to go. And I, I... So it's not really this wish to die, but it's this understanding that when he goes, he's going to see the Savior. He's going to be in heaven where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, that he's laid up treasure in heaven, that he's content in his life, and he could go now, and to go would, would be a wonderful thing. And that sounds weird, but here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. It's true for all believers. 
We don't, we don't worry about death like most people in life. We don't want to die because we have a keen sense of self-preservation that God built into us, right? That's healthy. But look what it says. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For the believer, there's not the sting of death that unbelievers feel. There's not even the great fear of it because we have this sense, this understanding, this hope, this belief that the best of, that could ever be is coming for eternity in heaven. One of the things I think is cool is not only is this guy, he's not afraid to die, but he's, he's this old fellow in prison. He's lived most of his life. He's going to be executed for his faith before it's over. This is near the end for him. But he's still giving out and still going strong. He's deeply spiritual and deeply passionate. He wants to do more for God. And I want to say to those of you who are a little older among us, let's say 60 and above, um, don't quit. Man, you've got a lot, of, a lot of years that are awesome. You have more wisdom, and I know this is not a culture that, that honors and esteems wisdom and experience, but we ought to. And Paul Paul uh, had more to give and probably had more deeply spiritual life than he'd ever had in his life, and he's still giving out as people are coming to the prison. You know, when you get over 60, you move to one of the cool phases in life where you have more money than you've ever had. For the most part, that's true. You have family, that's true, but they're not around quite as much as they used to be. And you have options where you can spend your time, but your mind is still keen. And we're living longer these days, right? I mean, people are going into their 90s. you got a lot of life to live. Don't quit on us. We need you so desperately right now to go forward and see what God's going to do. I met with a friend of mine named Steve Minton this week. <clears throat> and I love Steve. He's just one of my great friends. And I was really, really tired. I've, I've had some really busy weeks these last several weeks, and it didn't slow down for me this week. And I had made an appointment to meet Steve at a restaurant. And I got there at about 5.30 with a day where uh, I'd had five or six appointments and sermon writing and everything going on and going here and there. But do you know what I thought when I walked into that restaurant? Just before I thought, cool, I get to see Steve today. Steve is a giver, not a taker. And when you put Jesus first, what he does is he gives you a heart for others. And uh, I, I got to spend some time with him, and, and then on the way, uh, I, I, he came in, he wanted to see what had happened here, so I showed him, we came in that evening, and, and he, before we left, he said this, he said, you know what, because he's, get, he's getting along now, he's up around that 60, maybe just a little over, and he, he said, hey, if I ever tell you I'm going to move to Arizona and just play Pinochle, come find me and shoot me, would you? <laughs> he said, I am not going to quit. I am never going to retire. I want to give all my time and all my life to Jesus while I'm alive. I thought, cool. And then he mentioned a mentor of his who happens to be a mentor of mine, Denny Davis, who was my pastor once at the People's Church in Salem. And uh, <clears throat> when I think about Denny, he's the same way. Now, Denny's he's right around 80 right now. And he retired at about 75 or so. And he moved to Palm Springs. That's a good place to take it easy. Only he didn't. I mean, he plays golf and he does some fun things, but you know what he did when he retired? He grabbed hold of a little church there that was around about 50 that was made up of retirees in the Palm Springs community. He took hold of it, and this is a guy who had multiple staff members. I mean, uh, you know, there were 12 or 
to 17 people that sit around the table at staff meetings. So he had everybody that could run and do everything. I was one of his staff members in those days. He was a pastor in charge of everything. But now he's, he's printing the bulletin. He's singing the songs. He's leading the song service in this church. He's preaching. And you know what? He's taking that church from 50 senior citizens to 400. And they don't have any kids ministry, no youth. And they travel to places across the world to see missions work. And they give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And Denny will never, ever quit. I know him. I think when he dies, I, his feet are still going to be moving. He just, he just wants to do something for Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, Paul did not quit, man. He, he kept giving. He kept going. He knew he had something. And people were receiving from him because he was so willing to give and to love. We need you. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That was the heart he was carrying. My life is surrendered to Christ my whole life long. I'm going to reach out and I'm going to serve and bless others. And that's what happens when you put Jesus first. He gives you a heart for others, which leads me to my second point. You're not even second in the quotient. First it's Jesus, and the second thing is that others come and play then. Reach out to others, and don't make it all about yourself. Philippians 1.22 carries on with this letter he's writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit that became God's holy word, the Bible. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So this is an old guy who loves Jesus. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you. Look, he's got others on his mind. That I remain in the body, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with you, with all of you for your progress. He's thinking about helping others. And your joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. So this guy, you can see it in his life. Jesus is first, but Christ leads him to help and to bless others. And others are second, beyond himself. You won't see it any more clearly in the Bible to put others before yourself than you do in Philippians 2, verse 3, which we'll talk about down the line a little bit too. I'm jumping ahead. But it fits so perfectly with putting others before yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know what? That'll even change your family life. If you put everyone in your house above your own needs and your own thoughts, and you serve and you bless them, that changes the dynamic of a home and the dynamics of a relationship. When there's an argument, Karen and I never argue, but you can hear us reasoning a block away sometimes, and, and not her, me, maybe, but we're normal people, right? But even if you'll think of the other first, if I think of her and her needs and her heart, I, 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 I'll respond the right way. And that's what Jesus says. Put the other's needs ahead of yours. That's true with your children. I mean, it's not always about how their behavior makes you look. It's really just about them, right? We're raising kids. And so we're putting their interests above our own. And moms, you understand that. You're you're 24-7 doing that so much. But it's God's way. And God wants us to do that with people in life. 
I have this conviction that Jesus made every person he met feel like they were the most important person in the world. I mean, you gotta be seriously looking into their eyes and caring, and of course, he's God, not just man. But he's showing us the way, loving people. He met with that woman at the Samaritan well, and people didn't talk to women, and they didn't, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Culture had it messed up, but Jesus fixed things that were wrong. So he honored that woman, and he loved her by talking to her, and she was blown away that he cared. That's the way Jesus wants us to be. But the American way is to look out for number one. You got to understand that you have been wired to look out for yourself and love yourself. Did anyone ever notice that the Bible never says love yourself? It doesn't. I mean, churches preach it too, but the, the Bible pretty much assumes you have a keen sense of self already. The Bible warns you about putting yourself ahead of everything else and thinking only of yourself. And we have to be careful. Because our culture is wiring us to say that you're the most important in your needs and what you want. And Well, think of it this way. The people who are always making others feel like they're not serving them well enough. Well, you're not thinking of me. And if you loved me, you'd do this. And they just wear you out. They're just hard to be with. But the people that are givers and not takers, family members that are givers and friends that are givers and peers and mentors that are givers, you know why you love them so much? Because they're always saying a kind word. They're always doing, think of the top three people you love in life that are beyond your family. Why do you love them? Why do you admire them so much? Because they made you feel like you were special. You know, I think entertainers in this world will do a lot better. It seems like, as we saw with Kanye West, that they work really hard to make everybody think they're special. But I'm gonna tell you who the special people in life really are, entertainers included. The ones that make everyone else feel special. Let's be givers and not takers. Not only will you wear people out and they won't want to be around you if you make it all about yourself, but you just make yourself depressed. And if we would start to look to others, and look, here's what our culture does look at the progression of our magazines. Um, just there, there was one created many, many years ago called Life Magazine. Some of you don't remember that. It's not around anymore. But it started with Life. And then it moved to People Magazine, kind of narrowing it just a little bit. Not just Life, but People. Then Us Magazine appeared short, shortly after that. And then Self Magazine finally came into play. Do you see what Americans have done? You know, it's all about self. And now we have iPhones. I, maybe that's not related, but, but, but you know, how, where are we going to go with this thing? That's far, that's far enough. Thinking about self can discourage you and, and, and make others tired all the time when it's just always about you. And listen, I, I don't think it's, you know, any certain people, I think we all have to think about this. Every one of us have to think about this. For, for you know, are we givers and not takers? Is that, is that dominant, the giving part in life? Reminds me of a middle-aged lady who was looking in the mirror and she was kind of discouraged saying, look, honey, my eyes are... Are, are sagging and, and I have bags there and I have wrinkles everywhere and my body's falling apart. Tell me something nice about myself. And she, he said, well, your vision's really good. <laughs> oh, maybe I should have said that about a guy, but you know, he doesn't really care about what he looks like, right? That's the problem with that angle. 
But man, it, just enjoy life. Listen, I'm getting older. So what? I love life. And I'm finding out that the best part of life is when I can give to somebody and their day is brightened. That when Jesus can flow through me. Ask yourself this question. What are you doing right now in life that you'll be glad you did 20 years from now? What are your actions that you're doing right now that you're going to be glad about in 20 years? See, the long-term view is the right view. And self only has the immediate moment in mind. But the long-term view cares about your children, right? Cares about friends. Cares about eternity for, for those people that are around you. Acts 20, 35, Paul again is writing, now this is a different book, but he says, in everything I did, I, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord himself when he said, now listen to this, it's more blessed to give than receive. There it is. Parents, you get it, right? When your kids open those gifts, that's way better than you opening yours, isn't it? And when we just take that view, and what, what happens is if you start to be a giver and you start to make it about Jesus first and he gives you that love for others and then you start to give out, you start to become rewarded and you, you're fulfilled in your heart and life. You don't need it to all be about you and for people to appreciate you because you just get joy from giving, giving out in your life. John 15, 16 <clears throat> refers to fruit. And that's what this is. What you give out that is eternal, the love of God, the encouragement, your resources to help other people, when you do those things, the Bible calls it fruit. And, and the Bible says that those, that fruit is laid up as treasure in heaven. So that's not only a 20-year view, that's an eternal view right there. And Jesus said, you didn't choose me. This is John 15, 16. Remember, I chose you and put you in this world to bear fruit. Why are we here? Evidently to bear fruit. That's what Jesus says. Fruit that won't spoil. I would say the fruit of self spoils pretty good. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. Putting others in that place of esteem. So I was thinking about fruit and I was thinking about you. I, I gotta tell you, I really love you. I love this church. I mean, I think fondly of you on a regular basis. Just in general, this congregation, because you're so giving and you're so caring about people. I love the way you love people who walk through these doors who've never been here before. I love that you're not just about your friends and your coffee with them, but you see someone's face that you haven't seen before and you care and you greet them and you really genuinely want to know them. You're not just into the moment for the handshake. You want to know them. I love that about you. I think that's how Jesus was. I love that you care about people beyond this place. I can't believe how generous you are. And as I was thinking about fruit, I thought about the fruit of your lives. It's happening right now in Cambodia. This is just one place, but let's talk about it for a moment. We decided to make an emphasis for a decade into Cambodia. We're trying to raise a million and a half dollars in 10 years. And what we've seen over there is pretty remarkable. We had a medical team that was over there. They go every year. They just came back. They're having great fruit and great reward there. We had the youth team that went this summer and they had an incredible outreach and they were loved and loving to the people over there. 
And Pastor John was there. He stayed after the, I call him Pastor John. It's Elder John. But he was a pastor here for 15 years. And, and he, he still got that pastor heart. So I call him Pastor John. But <clears throat> John told me that he stayed back to work with the team to build the Remember New Home. Remember we bought the land? You gave $150,000 in one morning to buy the land and build homes to rescue young girls from sexual trafficking. Listen, we're not like a filthy rich church. We're just a bunch of generous people who love Jesus and get it that it's about eternity and God cares about every soul everywhere. And so you gave money to rescue young girls from sexual trafficking, to build those homes with Remember New. When Carl Ralston was here, he talked, remember that? So John was over there and after the medical trip, he met with some people who were coming from different states across the country to talk about a plan to build the home. <clears throat> for Remember New. And while he was there, he said it was uh, awesome to see this team come together. And then he said they took him out to a, a remote region in Takayo where we're building one of our churches. I don't know if you remember this, but in October, we were hopeful to get two churches because we had a goal of 10 churches being built in Cambodia in this decade. Problem with that is we're well past 10 right now and we're three years in. So we gotta, we gotta recalculate a little bit. We can do more. And God's, God's doing some wonderful things through us. But we're trying to raise money for two churches. That'd be $15,000 in one service. You gave 60000 and we built eight churches. Well, we didn't build them yet because they can't get them built that fast. But we're, they're going to be built. But, but John was taken out to one of the churches that was being built. And we had paid for it. The missionary wanted him to see it. And John said it, he, can't, he couldn't tell me how deeply he was moved to see that not only were there workers that were paid to build that, but there were the volunteers that were around and the new pastor that they'd sent into the region ahead met him to say, we already have 20 new converts and we don't have our building built yet. But when we get it up, the first Sunday, we're gonna baptize all those converts and hopefully more. That is the fruit of your labor. It really is making a difference in, in, in Cambodia and across the world. I remember being there two years ago and the Lord started to speak to me and move my heart so deeply for those people who, who seem to have no joy in their life because there's no Jesus. Who seem to have no close relationships because of the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot and something that, the killing fields that happened sometime back. They're walking around with the same people. Justice has never come. Some of them who cut the heads off of their relatives. Justice never happened. And they're just walking around together, but they're disconnected because their family members are gone and they don't know who the person beside them is and how vicious they were. And they, don't, they just don't have Jesus. It was so sad. And I remember being moved by the fact that one other church I heard about in Albany built seven churches. And, and then the price of the church is 75. I thought, we could do this. And then I, I had this thought. If we did this, if we as a church took hold of it and made a big difference in Cambodia, that's something I'd feel really good about when I lay my head down in my grave someday. Fruit that lasts. And you guys are part of that fruit. You think of others, and I love you for it, and I believe God loves you for it. And then, this may not surprise you, put yourself last. That's the third point. This is not what the world will teach you. Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. I read that to you. But you see that it's about Jesus to him. And, and, and then others, as he said, I, I want to help you grow and bring joy to you. And in Philippians 1.26, we see that. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So, so he wants, he's concerned about their joy, bringing joy to them. 
Over and over in this book, he keeps using this word. And look at Philippians 4, 1. So he has joy because Jesus is in him. He has joy because he's reaching out. And we see his joy. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and my crown. Here's this guy in prison, reaching out. Jesus first, others second, and his heart is filled with joy. It made me think, you know, joy, your, your joy is my crown means that it's, it's part of my reward. He's helped these people come to know Jesus. He birthed this church in Philippi. It's 10 years later. But he has joy for what's happened. Now he sees them loving others and helping others come to Christ, and he has great joy. And he knows that that's part of his reward in heaven. It reminds me of Hebrews, where it says about Jesus, talking about Jesus Christ, and it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's set down at the right hand of the Father. The joy set before Jesus, you know, you know what that was, right? It's you. Jesus came and gave his life on that cross with the joy and the hope knowing that you would come to be connected and, and reunited with the Father, that our sin had separated us, that he paid the price for our sin when he was crucified on that cross. And Jesus was the ransom. God the Father has wrath against sin because sin kills and destroys and hurts and wounds his creation. But his wrath against sin fell on Jesus Christ that day on the cross. That's what the cross was about. It was willful. It was purposeful. It was deliberate. He didn't get caught. He didn't get trapped. They didn't get him. He gave his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in giving, he paid the ransom and the joy set before him was us. That's pretty awesome. Paul discovered that as well. And he realized that when I put Jesus first, it just happens. And when I care about others and I'm, I'm a kingdom thinker, the kingdom of God, that's when joy comes to, to his life. That's when joy comes to our life. He gets joy in his own heart. He sees the fruit of his labor. What do you get in this life when you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last? Take a look at this. Notice those letters separated out there. Jesus, others, and you. That's, that's where joy comes. You say, are you saying I can't do anything for myself? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. You know, go golf, get a manicure, whatever. But don't, don't make it all about you. Don't put, your, don't put yourself in front of everybody else. And this is, you say, why? I don't like the thought of that. Well, you don't have to do anything I talk about up here. You don't have to do anything the Bible says. But this is the path to joy. This is it. Sometimes you see that Christians haven't really notified their face, you know, about this whole joy thing. There's a word that I really like in the Bible, and it's, you see it in Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, um, but, but the word, if you look at it in the original, it speaks of countenance. And countenance means your, your face, and you either have a good countenance or a bad countenance, but the good countenance is that the, the presence of God is actually seeable, that somehow that your spirit is lifted because Jesus is in your heart and life. And I see lots of Christians that don't have the countenance thing. And I see lots that do. I mean, have you been to churches where you've gone in and it feels like there's, this is a funeral? I mean, nobody's happy, but they're all serving God almost begrudgingly and they're happy they're in and they're paying their dues, you know, so they can get to heaven. Good grief, that's, that's just misery. Joy understands what he's done and that grace has come. 
Joy understands that, that, that eternal life is mine. Joy understands that the truth of the word, when applied, brings blessing to my life. Joy understands that when I'm a giver and not a taker, life takes on meaning. And the beauty of Jesus first and others second is the joy comes to your face when you get it. Now, I know I'm treading on dangerous ground and I, I believe that depression needs to be there are times that medication is absolutely necessary, but I, I honestly believe that one of the root causes of depression is we think about ourselves too much. And we think about what others aren't doing for us or what's happened. And, and though, though I, I, I very much want to be cautious here and careful, I, I want even those who have gone through depression or in depression to know that if it's about Jesus and others, it will get better. It will get better. And that he's our healer, right? He, he can heal those things just like he heals a broken bone or takes a disease away. He's our healer. When we start to trust him and put him first and look to bless others instead of saying, hey, bless me, then he brings joy into our hearts and our lives. I, I love this story particular king in a particular country traveled often, but one day a man living near the palace remarked to a friend, well, it looks like the king is home tonight. His friend said, how do you know that? And the man pointed toward the royal house and said, because when the king's home, the castle is lit up. And I like to think of that for our countenance. <laughs> when the king's home, the castle is lit up. And sometimes we don't have joy because we, we're not, it's still about me and any one of us at any moment in our lives it's about me right and so we all have to work on this Jesus others and you the irony is it's only after putting Jesus first and others second that you have the true joy in life that you're looking for 